Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. You're listening to Black History Unveiled with me, Amat Levine, the podcast where we spotlight pivotal moments, influential figures, and groundbreaking movements from black history, from the continent to the diaspora. Before we start, I'd like to remind you that you can become a Patreon subscriber for as little as a dollar a month. As a subscriber, you get pictures and maps that make the episodes easier to visualize, get episodes completely free of advertising, and get extra bonus episodes. By doing so, you're helping me making this podcast possible. All info can be found at patreon.com slash blackhistoryunveiled. Today's episode touches on one of the most fascinating events in history. It's a story containing incomprehensible evil, incredible courage, and inspiring resistance. By understanding this story, you also understand more about why things look the way they do today. How, for example, can two neighboring Caribbean countries sharing an island have such enormously different conditions? How can there be prosperity, investment, and hope for the future on one side of the border, while on the other, there is mainly talk of societal collapse, poverty, and suffering. Many of the answers can be found here. The episode is about the colonization of a Caribbean island and the particularly brutal slavery that followed, but also about the revolt that culminated in creating what is usually called the world's first black republic, Haiti.
The crew sailed into the unknown for what must have felt like an eternity. An endless expanse of ocean was stretching to the horizon in every direction. No landmarks to guide their way. Then, unexpectedly, they caught sight of land. A set of islands known to us today as the Bahamas. It was October 1492, and about five weeks had passed since the three ships had left the Canary Islands on the other side of the Atlantic. After exploring the various Bahamas islands, the expedition continued to what we now call Cuba. The third significant landmass they encountered was a Caribbean island named La Isla Española by the expedition's leader, Christopher Columbus. The word discovered is clearly misleading because the island had been populated for thousands of years when Columbus arrived. At the time of Columbus's coming, it was home to the Taino people, one of the indigenous groups of the Caribbean. Columbus was on his famous and now infamous voyage to East Asia. The theory was that you could get there by sailing west from Europe. He had spent years trying to convince various European monarchs to sponsor his expedition, persuading them one by one. I imagine a scene reminding me of Dragon's Den or Shark Tank, the TV shows where aspiring entrepreneurs try to convince successful business owners to invest in their particular ideas. But there was incredible potential in Columbus's vision. Discovering a sea route to Asia promised lucrative trade opportunities and the avoidance of the long and perilous land route. Additionally, it offered the chance to spread Christianity and establish new colonies. Columbus had approached the king of both England and Portugal, but both had declined to support him. Ultimately, the Spanish Catholic monarchs Ferdinand II of Aragon and Isabella I of Castile decided to back Columbus's venture. Although Columbus was born in Genoa in what is now Italy, he set sail under the Spanish flag, and the name he gave the island, La Isla Española, means the Spanish island. Even today, the island bears the similar name, Hispaniola. Many of us probably recognize the image of Columbus as the heroic and daring so-called discoverer of America. Monuments, buildings, and squares across the Americas, from the U.S. to Argentina, bear his name, and Columbus Day has been celebrated since the late 19th century. However, his legacy has been rightly scrutinized in recent decades, as the previous one-sided praise fails to provide a complete picture. The Taino people lived on several of the Caribbean islands Columbus explored. In letters to his Spanish sponsors, he described the people almost as innocent lambs. He was surprised by their generosity and wrote that they lacked weapons. This last part about the weapons is quite debated. Some historians interpret Columbus's words to mean that the Taino people did have weapons, 
just not the advanced ones that the Europeans used. Regardless, it wasn't long before Columbus and subsequent Spanish settlers subjugated a Taino people to violence, exploitation, and slave labor. Moreover, the diseases brought by Europeans decimated indigenous populations, as the Americas lacked resistance due to isolation from the Old World, that is, Europe, Asia, and Africa, where infectious diseases had been circulating for millennia. The world recently went through a pandemic. But imagine the devastating impact of facing multiple epidemics simultaneously. In the decades and centuries following Columbus's arrival, diseases like smallpox, measles, bubonic plague, malaria, and influenza swept across the Americas. Countless indigenous people fell victim, and entire communities were wiped out. By the end of the 16th century, the Taino people of Hispaniola were nearly extinct. During that century, the Spanish lost interest in the island as they discovered gold elsewhere in the Americas and established other colonies. Meanwhile, the Caribbean was lawless, with French, English, Spanish, and Dutch pirates raiding ships and coastal areas. In the early 17th century, French pirates established a stronghold in western Hispaniola, far from Spanish-controlled territories to the east. Despite Spanish attempts to remove them, the pirates held their ground. In the mid-17th century, the French began to arrive more formally, and the eastern parts gradually transformed from a pirate's haven into an actual colony. In 1697, France and Spain signed an agreement recognizing the western part of the island as French territory. The new settlement was named Saint-Domingue. The economy of Saint-Domingue became entirely dependent on slave labor. As the Taino people neared extinction, France turned to Africa as a source of slaves. If you want to know why, check out one of the earlier episodes about the transatlantic slave trade. Each year, thousands of enslaved people were transported from Africa to the island, a number that increased as plantations expanded. In a matter of decades, Tens of thousands of enslaved individuals were arriving at Saint-Domingue's ports annually. This is despite the fact that the white population grew slowly and sometimes remained stagnant. Saint-Domingue cultivated various crops including coffee, tobacco, and indigo, but sugar quickly became the most critical export. Even today, sugar is ubiquitous in many foods, and we parents often struggle to limit our children's consumption. So imagine the impact of sugar when it was a novelty. While sugar had been introduced to Europe earlier, it had its real spread, its true breakthrough in the 16th and 17th centuries. In Europe, the demand for this white gold became insatiable. Since sugarcane thrived in tropical climates, 
colonizers established hundreds of plantations, capitalizing on the island's fertile soil. During the 1760s, Saint-Domingue produced over a third of the sugar and more than half of the coffee consumed in Europe. The colony earned nicknames like the Pearl of the Antilles and the Paris of the Antilles. Wealth poured into France and into the coffers of the plantation owners, who built opulent mansions, indulged in theater and bathhouses, savored fine wines, and enjoyed various imported delicacies. The enslaved suffered enormously all over the Americas, but it is usually said that in Saint-Domingue they were subjected to an especially ferocious form of slavery. The primary reason was the sugar industry. The process of growing sugarcane and producing sugar was incredibly labor-intensive. Slaves, both men and women, toiled in the fields for up to 12 hours a day, beginning at dawn and continuing until sunset, from Monday to Saturday with only short meal breaks. Additionally, they were expected to cultivate crops to sustain themselves, often during their so-called free time. To prevent enslaved individuals from consuming sugarcane, some plantations required them to wear metal masks covering their mouths. Many of the enslaved perished due to their brutal conditions, succumbing to the relentless work, diseases, inadequate nourishment, or the cruel punishments they faced. Importing new slaves to replace those who died was considered more cost-effective than investing in improved living conditions. Consequently, the life expectancy of the enslaved was tragically short, with up to half of all newly imported Africans dying within a few years of their arrival on the island. The prevalence of sugar plantations is the crucial reason why the enslaved in Saint-Domingue generally faced even harsher conditions than their counterparts in places like the U.S. or Brazil. We touched on this in the two-part series about the transatlantic slave trade, but it bears repeating. Since they were much larger colonies with more diversified economies, a greater proportion of the enslaved could engage in comparatively less grueling tasks, such as craftsmanship, domestic work, or cultivating less demanding crops. Being a slave is, of course, by its very nature something horrific, and no slave's life was easy. But the situation in Saint-Domingue shows us that there were varying degrees of suffering, even within the depths of this hellish existence. As early as the 1680s, the French king Louis XIV implemented Code Noir in the country's colonies. This was often called the Black Code or the Black Law. It comprised a set of regulations that defined the obligations and rights of slaves. 
For instance, it's mandated that the enslaved must convert to Catholicism, prohibited slaves belonging to different owners from meeting one another, and treated them as property, subject to buying, selling, exchanging, and inheriting. Among the specified so-called rights, it decreed that all slaves should receive food and clothing, allow them to marry as long as they had their owner's permission, and stipulated that they should not be separated in cases of marriage, at least if they had children together. The regulations also detailed the punishments that slaves would face for any misbehavior. For example, those who escaped from their plantation and remained at large for a month had their ears severed and were branded. Being on the run for extended periods could result in severed Achilles tendons. Striking one's owner was punishable by death. Despite the Code Noir specifying approved methods of punishment, slave owners seldom adhered to these regulations. Numerous accounts exist of the brutal and inventive punishment inflicted on the enslaved. In one of his works, Pompey Valentin Vasti, a writer from Saint-Domingue, wrote that enslaved people faced horrifying fates, such as being buried alive, tethered to ants' hills, or immersed in boiling syrup. Some were buried with only their heads protruding, having sugar applied to their faces to attract insects that would start consuming them. Other reports described rubbing salt, pepper, and lemon into fresh wounds caused by whiplashes. Jean-Baptiste de Carado, a wealthy plantation owner, even found amusement in a grotesque competition of his own design. He had his guests use a pistol to attempt to shoot an orange placed on a slave's head from a distance of thirty paces. All these horrors were inflicted to instill fear and maintain control over the enslaved, ensuring the continuous functioning of the economic system. According to the Code Noir, slave owners could emancipate children born to slave women by marrying them. However, not all chose this path. Some were willing to keep the women and child in slavery, Nevertheless, some decided to grant freedom to the children and mothers. Over time, this led to the emergence of a class comprising individuals of mixed African and European ancestry. Nowadays, they're often referred to as free people of color. While the group primarily consisted of people with various degrees of mixed ancestry, it also sometimes included a proportion of entirely black individuals who were either born free or gained their freedom for different reasons. During the colony's first six to seven decades, Saint-Domingue stood out because free people of color enjoyed some of the same rights as other French citizens. While they undoubtedly faced prejudice and racism, these biases were not yet codified into law. However, a significant change occurred in the 1760s, following the Seven Years' War, a global conflict primarily involving Great Britain and France. After the war, France was compelled to cede Canada to Great Britain, 
and relinquished control of several of its Caribbean colonies, including Tobago, St. Vincent, and Grenada. France was therefore now determined to retain its remaining colonies. However, there was a growing concern regarding the French settlers in Saint-Domingue. It appeared they were gradually losing their French identity and becoming more loyal to their Caribbean domain. As early as 1750, a man named Emilien Petit published a book addressing this issue, under a title which in English translates to American Patriotism. Born in Saint-Domingue, Petit argued that the French colonizers and the free people of color shared a culture that could evolve into anti-imperialist patriotism over time. And this patriotism could lead them to seek independence from the motherland. Petit proposed a solution to this problem. Firstly, he emphasized the need to improve the treatment of French settlers. Saint-Domingue had initially been governed by a form of martial law, perhaps understandable given its history as a pirate base. However, Petit believed that the colony had become civilized, and the harsh laws were no longer necessary, particularly as they discouraged settlers seeking more freedom. Secondly, Petit recommended the establishment of a clear separation between whites and the free people of color. This early form of apartheid aimed to keep the groups apart and reduce the chances of them uniting and rebelling against France. In connection with the Seven Years' War, Petit was employed by France's colonial department, and from the 1760s onward, several of his ideas were implemented. The free people of color faced increased forms of discrimination. They were restricted from certain occupations, subject to rules dictating their clothes and movement, and were even prohibited from being addressed as Mr. or Madam. Despite these discriminatory practices, the free people of color, of course, still enjoyed many privileges compared to the enslaved population. Some received education and had the right to own land, and in some cases, they became slave owners themselves. Even some black slaves, who for various reasons gained their freedom, became slave owners if they managed to ascend the social ladder after their emancipation. In Saint-Domingue, a clear social hierarchy emerged. Whites occupy the top tier, followed by the free people of color in the middle, with enslaved Africans at the lowest rung. By 1789, the colony was home to over half a million slaves and approximately 20,000 to 30,000 free people of color. The white population, on the other hand, numbered only about 32,000. In other words, in 1789, a staggering 90% of Saint-Domingue's population comprised enslaved individuals. The scarcity of whites played a significant role in the severe treatment of slaves, as the colonizers believed that maintaining a solid grip through violence was necessary to sustain the system. However, this stark inequality 
coupled with the sadistic treatment of slaves, rendered the situation unsustainable. Saint-Domingue simmered with plots, animosity, and intrigues. A revolt was inescapable. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Around the same time, Europe underwent a monumental transformation. In France, the people rose against the monarchy, sparking the French Revolution in 1789. In tandem with these events, France's newly formed National Assembly adopted the Declaration of Rights of Man and of the Citizen. It was a historic document that would later inspire the United Nations' contemporary declaration on human rights. Saint-Domingue's free people of color grew increasingly frustrated by the systematic discrimination they endured. After learning about the French declaration, some began to demand the right to vote. Interestingly, it now backfired on the colonizers that they had allowed the mixed-race population to be educated. Since many of them could read, they promptly realized that the Declaration's words did not align with their circumstances. Simultaneously, numerous white colonizers on the island pondered the document's implications for their situation. Several of them interpreted it as a potential justification for seeking independence from France. This prospect, however, deeply worried the enslaved people of Saint-Domingue. They fear that the colonizers would subject them to even more severe mistreatment without France's oversight and regulation. The situation became highly volatile. Vincent Auger was born to a white father and one of Saint-Domingue's free mixed-race women. 
He hailed from a prosperous family that owned a coffee plantation. During his youth, he apprenticed as a goldsmith in Bordeaux, France. Upon returning to Saint-Domingue as an adult, he succeeded as a businessman and became one of the wealthiest free-mixed-race inhabitants of the colony. Auger happened to be in Bordeaux and Paris on a business trip when the French Revolution erupted. He found inspiration in the revolutionary fervor, but positioned himself as a mediator, one who could ensure that the changes were introduced slowly and gradually on Saint-Domingue. He did not primarily represent the colony's free people of color, and certainly not the enslaved. He saw himself as representing the rich, the affluent property owners. And that is what he began to argue on the streets of Paris in the second half of 1789, that all wealthy property-owning residents of Saint-Domingue deserved full rights, regardless of their skin color. Historically, such assertiveness from the island's free people of color had been uncommon. This group typically held politically conservative views and avoided stirring trouble. Their strategy was usually to sidestep conflicts with colonial authorities, hoping to preserve their social status and eventually gain full societal membership. However, Auger's demands were just one of several coming from the free people of color in a short period, causing concern among the colony's white residents. It's worth dwelling on Auger's background for a moment. He had a white father and a mixed mother. He was what in the past would have been called a quadroon, a person with a quarter percent of so-called black blood in them. That it was still so important to classify him as non-white says a lot about how incredibly racially fixated society in Saint-Domingue had become. Auger's efforts to persuade French political authorities proved unsuccessful, and by October 1790, he had returned to Saint-Domingue. There, he crossed paths with Jean-Baptiste Chavan, a man who shared a similar background. Like Auger, Chavan was born in Saint-Domingue, the son of a white colonizer and a mixed woman. Chavan had also served in the French forces that fought alongside the Americans during the American War of Independence. In his view, it was not wealth or property that granted him full rights, but rather his service in the war. Unlike Ogier, Chavan was willing to involve the island's enslaved population in a potential rebellion. From Chavan's residence in Grand Riviere in northern Saint-Domingue, the two men drafted new letters demanding political representation, which they sent to the colonial administration. They received no response. Instead, a contingent of colonial troops arrived to confront them. The exact sequence of events remains unclear. Some historians describe a scenario where Auger, Chavan, and around 300 free-mixed soldiers initiated a formal revolt. Early accounts even suggest Auger had imported weapons from the United States and had been planning this uprising for some time. However, this perspective is now considered somewhat outdated. Other historians believe that the free mixed soldiers had gathered at Chavan's residence to support or protect the two men, 
Currently, this version is the most widely accepted. Regardless of its origins, a battle ensued. Ogier Chavan and their men repelled an initial attack by the colonial troops. Then, before reinforcements arrived, they dispersed and fled. Ogier Chavan and approximately 20 of their supporters moved eastward, crossing the border into Santo Domingo, the Spanish-controlled part of the island, now known as the Dominican Republic. They were swiftly apprehended and handed over to San Domingue's authorities. Typically, political insurgents of this kind were sent to France for trial, but Auger and his associates were detained in San Domingue for several months and subjected to secret interrogations. In February 1791, Auger and Chavan were taken to the cathedral in Cap Francais in northern Saint-Domingue, the colony's original capital. A rope was tightly bound around their necks, and both held a candle. Kneeling, they were compelled to confess their alleged crimes and seek forgiveness. Afterward, they were escorted to the town square and placed on a scaffold. There, they were broken on the wheel their limbs systematically crushed one by one. The gruesome culmination was their beheading. Later, several of Ogier's and Chavan's associates were hanged. While Ogier and Chavan had no intention of freeing the slaves, their resistance and degrading execution marked a turning point. A rebellion was now imminent. France attempted to quell the growing unrest in May 1791 by granting the right to vote to prosperous free people of color born to free parents. Although this policy change applied to only a select few, it incited the ire of Saint-Domingue's white colonizers, leading to armed conflicts in certain areas. The uprising had now started to simmer, but the true revolution ignited when the enslaved black population, the majority on the island, joined the struggle. Thank you for joining me, Amat Levine, on this episode of Black History Unveiled. If you've listened this far and liked what you've heard, check out patreon.com slash blackhistoryunveiled to gain access to ad-free episodes, maps and pictures, bonus episodes and more. You'll also find a comprehensive list of sources for this episode. If you don't want to become a Patreon subscriber, another way to help me is to share the podcast on social media, Recommend it to someone you know, or give it a rating or a review on the podcast app you're using. In the next episode, part two, the real revolt begins. The enslaved's uprising puts fear in the heart of France. Several other European nations decides to intervene in the conflict to prevent the chaos from spreading to other colonies. A decision they will regret dearly. 
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 